the words of Jesus are recorded in Matthew 5, 6. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he promises, for they will be filled. So let me ask you, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Because here comes your refill. Hey everybody, thanks for coming back to Get Your Refill. Today we're going to be mostly camping out in Ephesians 2. So if you happen to listen to this podcast with your Bible, go ahead and go to Ephesians 2, and we're going to start reading verses 13 and 14. So here, here we go. This is verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Now, what does that phrase mean to be our peace? How is Jesus our peace? And first, let's, let's talk about what peace actually means. Most of the time, at least for me, when I hear peace, it's through the lens of war. You know, I hear like peaceful negotiations or peace treaties or things like that. And it denotes that peace is simply anti-war. It's the antithesis of conflict. But God's peace is really so much more than just the absence of conflict. In Hebrew, the word that peace is translated from is shalom. And it means peace, but it also is completeness, wholeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity. It's a whole body, mind, and soul kind of word. Now, the word Paul actually uses in Ephesians is the Greek word irene, but it still means the same thing. It means peace, peace of mind, a sense of health or welfare of an individual. It refers to the wholeness of a person when all essential parts are joined together, when there is peace. So you see, God's peace is just a lot more than just not fighting or a ceasefire of conflict and trouble. This is taken from JewsForJesus.org, and, and this is them comparing what the world's view of peace is versus what God's shalom means. One can dictate a peace. Shalom is a mutual agreement. Peace is a temporary pact. Shalom is a permanent agreement. One can make a peace treaty. Shalom is the condition of peace. Peace can be negative, the absence of commotion. Shalom is positive, the presence of serenity. Peace can be partial. Shalom is whole. Peace can be piecemeal. Shalom is complete. So thinking about all this, what does Paul mean when he says that that Jesus is our shalom in Ephesians 2.14? Now, the actual context of that verse is, is embedded in the entire passage of 11 through 22. And this is where Paul is talking about the difference of God's chosen people and the Greeks. So if you remember, um, back in the day, the Gentiles were excluded from citizenship of God's people. They were not part of the original covenant. Only the Israelites back in the day were. But in verse 13, Paul brings it all together. It is through Christ's life, death, and resurrection that those barriers have been broken between these two people groups. You know, look at verses 17 through 19. Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Think about this. Here are two people groups that clearly have some issues with one another and their very presence in the same location causes this uncomfortable division. 
There's just a lot of conflict, unrest, brokenness, and angst towards one another. They do not have peace with one another. The church was not whole. The church was not unified. The church was not healthy. The church was not together. The church was not prospering. And this was a major issue in the first century church. The church was not at peace. Does this sound familiar, husband or wife? Does this sound familiar, Republican or Democrat? Does this sound familiar, insert one race versus another? Does this sound familiar, people who are going to spend the holidays together? Now, in truth, if we were to step back and really look at the dis-peace in our lives, it really stems from three different areas where we actually need God's peace. You know, we need peace in our hearts, we need peace with one another, and we need peace with God. And Paul says that peace is found only in Jesus. Jesus grants us peace in our hearts by becoming sin for us, taking our rightful place in death and paying our penalty. We're free from the shame and slavery of sin. You know, we may feel the effects of sin, but we're no longer bound to it because of the blood of Christ. Jesus grants us peace with one another because, as Ephesians 2.14 says, Jesus destroys the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility between people groups and divisions. There is unity in the body of Christ. Now, I, I want to point out that unity is not uniformity. God doesn't want us all to be the same and act the same and think the same. God makes people in all different colors, shapes, sizes, and with different experiences. And with that, naturally, there's going to be some potential for conflict and unrest. But with that potential of conflict also comes the potential of strength and wholeness. What I lack, which, which happens to be a lot, others can fill in those gaps and we can build one another up and work together in wholeness and unity, not in brokenness and divisions. And lastly, Jesus grants us peace before the Father. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus paid it all, so we don't have to. All of our sins have been imputed onto Jesus, meaning we gave him all of our sin and shame and brokenness and our addictions and our grief and our sorrow and our pain and our hurt. And Jesus took that to the cross and paid the penalty for it. But then the good news is that it wasn't a one-sided transaction. Jesus gave us his righteousness. He gave us a new name, a new heart and a new mind. And we can therefore stand before the father because when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin or our brokenness. He just sees Jesus. Jesus has then reconciled us to God because we've become a place where God no longer separates himself from us because of sin, but draws nearer to us because we are found in Christ. Look at verse 22 of Ephesians 2. And in him, in Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, I want to close with this. In John 14, Jesus has just dismissed Judas after the Last Supper, and he's comforting his disciples after telling him that he's going to be betrayed and he's going to leave them. And he reminds them that heaven is their destination. He reminds them that he is the way, about the, the power and the purpose of prayer. He tells about the promise of the Holy Spirit as their comforter, their security of being found in Christ, and that the, the guiding and the teaching that will happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says all of that in the beginning of John 14. And to cap his calming of his disciples, what does Jesus say? Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now I want to read this commentary. This is from the Matthew Henry commentary. 
It says, when Christ was about to leave the world, he made his will. His soul he committed to his father, his body he bequeathed to Joseph, his clothes fell to the soldiers, his mother he left to the care of John, but what should he leave his poor disciples? Silver and gold he had none, but he left them that which was infinitely better, his peace. It's as if Jesus says, I leave you, but I leave my peace with you. I don't only give you a title to it, but put you in possession of it. Now, Jesus did not part in anger, but in love, for this was his farewell. Peace I leave with you, as a dying father leaves portions to his children. And this is a worthy portion. Now, let's go back to John 14, 27. Jesus says, he gives you this peace, but not as the world gives. You see, when we give gifts, they're temporary. They're for a time and a place. You know, every year we give our kids Christmas presents and they love them, but the next year they're not satisfied with what they got last year. They want more. And I'm not trying to bash on my kids because really we're the same way. We're not satisfied by our earthly gifts, by our worldly gifts. When the next year comes around, it's time for more. But you see, when God gives you a gift, it's eternal. It's long lasting. So here's the good news. If you are found in Christ, you have access to his peace the always flowing and giving river of wholeness, unity, rest, and peace. So let that truth give you peace this week as you go out and be his hands and feet. All right? Have a great, great, peaceful week, and we'll see you next time.